0: everyone, I'm Al from Insanity Game Studio, and today we're going to finish up the series of episodes I've done about the various planes of existence as pictured in first edition manual of the planes. Now, I, I don't know if you'd really want to call it a series in a way, though, because it's not like I did them consecutively. You know, I well, I did them consecutively for a little bit, uh and then I just kind of got sidetracked and then just started doing them here and there, but it all started when I was doing uh the when I did the episode on the Nine Hells, where I talked quite a bit about Dante's Inferno and how the description of hell in that particular poem, how it influenced the Nine Hells in first edition. And you know some of the ways that it differed, as well as how it was the same or similar. And then after the nine hells, of course, I would go on to discuss the seven heavens, Nirvana, Gladsheim, the happy hunting grounds, Limbo, the abyss, Gehenna. Took a little break from it after that for a while, where I didn't go back for a couple episodes. Uh, talked then about uh, the concordant opposition. Uh, took another break for a while, where again I just did so much other stuff and then went to uh, then resumed by talking about Hades and then again took another really long break and then hey decided what the heck let's finish up this series. So we're ending our tour of the outer planes in the twin paradises. You know, and I did legitimately enjoy doing a lot of the research and, you know, got to use my religious studies background a little bit. And not only that, I even learned a few new things as well. And I'd have to say, perhaps the most interesting thing about it for me, you know, of course, being an older gamer and remembering the satanic panic, I always just found it interesting while doing this series how, you know, for all of the... Uh, attacks that people made about D&D and claimed it was satanic, it actually drew quite a lot from uh, the Bible as well as uh, a little bit from Judaism and, again, some of the influences we could even see from Islam in some of the planes. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is, well, playing Dungeons & Dragons is probably not going to turn you into a blood-drinking, baby-sacrificing, Demon worshiper, like the televangelists used to say, it would do, but well, it can lead you to get an interest in learning about things and going out and doing research. So, I have a feeling this is not going to be a very long episode because I wasn't able to really find much about this the twin paradises, and uh, that's why I went into that little spiel there, just trying to pad it out a little bit. And speaking of hatting things out here's just a quick announcement before we begin welcome to bone throwers theater nah it's not that kind of show it's an rpg actual play podcast my name is jordan and i'm joined by our fun-loving cast this is aaron jeff here johnny is my name and i'm jeremy And what we do is dive in and play various tabletop RPG systems and games, such as Mini-6, Fiasco, Inspectors, Monster of the Week, Fate, and more. But no matter the rule set or setting, some pretty intense storytelling hits the fan. So whether you like epic fantasy adventure, comedy, sci-fi... Horror, or just horrifically bad puns. We've got something to feast your imagination on. Listen to our full episodes and more at Theater.com. And may the bones fall ever in your favor. And we're back. So, as I said, I couldn't really find a historical, literary, or mythological equivalent to the Twin Paradises. It's two planes, and the alignment of this plane is described as being neutral, good, lawful. So I don't know if you would want to see this as more neutral, good with lawful tendencies or lawful, good with more neutral, good tendencies. The spirits here are definitely benevolent, but they only believe in organization when necessary or when it is the most efficient way to deal with the problem. The plane is described as being like a book without a spine where each of the two layers represents the cover, the front cover, and the back cover of the book. And each layer gives off a soft glow that provides illumination. And they really didn't state here as to whether there's any sort of night or day cycle in uh, this realm, so presumably it's always somewhat uh, daylight. Unless you've got a power that's going to, like a god, that's going to decide to make it night. Now it's said that on a clear day, you can look up into the sky and see the other layer. And I think it described them as only being about 20 miles apart. So there's basically two ways you can reach the other layer. You can either fly or another option is you can climb a mountain. As there's said to be several mountains in this plane that where they they connect, kind of like a stalactite and a stalagmite can connect inside of a cave. Of course, either method of getting from one plane to the other has its own hazards that you have to deal with. Uh, they mention that there's a certain part where the, the gravity switches from you know, going towards the top layer to the bottom layer. So, of course, you have to be very careful with your uh, your flight spell. If you're flying, you've got to make sure that you've got enough duration there. Uh, but if you're climbing a mountain, well, then, of course, you have to be careful because you have to make a wisdom check to determine where the gravity switches so you can you know, make the necessary change to your, your plans there. The two layers are called Sure Rock, and dothian dothian is described as a pastoral paradise the weather here is pretty mild throughout the year so this actually sounds like my idea of the ideal climate like the winters are they say the you know the worst snowfall is not much worse than the first snowfall of the year and they also mention that the summers are actually mild as well there's intelligent animals here as well. They don't speak, but they're smarter than the average deer or wolf or fox or whatever. Sherrock is described as being the more lively of the two places. And in a way, it kind of reminds me of Wisconsin from the way they described it, because you can have freezing winters as well as hot summers. Again, <laughs> Kind of like Wisconsin, my home state. So they mentioned this as being a very challenging plane because, again, you'll have hot summers, cold winters, uh, great blizzards or thunderstorms that'll pop up. So the people who live on this plane are always striving and they're always at work just to get by. And the residents of this plane, Sometimes they will freely travel back and forth between each plane, usually if they just want to change in climate. Now, as far as deities go, they do place several fictional deities here. Uh, the It places most of the good-aligned gnomish deities in this plane. And this does make sense, since the alignment, well, at least... After, I think, uh, 2nd edition, uh, usually gnomes were almost always neutral good. It's been a while since I've read through my monster manual, so I'm not sure if they picture gnomes in 1st edition as being more towards lawful good or more towards neutral good, but it was definitely one of those two. There's only two historical deities that they place on this plane. The first is Epimetheus and this is a titan from greek mythology his name means afterthought he is the brother of the well the more well-known titan prometheus so these two are opposites of each other in one important way well as i mentioned before epimetheus means afterthought and prometheus means forethought and Epimetheus was said to be very foolish, while his brother was very clever. Now, the biggest problem that Epimetheus faces is, since he is afterthought, he tends to think before acting, and this has been known to get him into trouble. Now, it was said that both him and his brother remained neutral in the war between the Olympians and the Titans, So he was not punished after Zeus had won the war. Both Epimetheus and Prometheus were tasked with creating humans and animals. But this is where we see Epimetheus acting without thinking. Because Zeus only gave them a certain amount of traits to hand out to the animals. And as it turned out, he ended up giving all the positive traits... To the animals, so that left people with pretty much nothing. Well, this didn't seem right to Prometheus. So, of course, we know him for stealing the fire from the gods. So he would get this way. Mankind would have something to give him an advantage and the ability to survive in the world. Especially since, you know, I mean, you look at it. I'll just take a person with no weapons put him against a lion or a tiger or a wolf, obviously the person's going to be at a severe disadvantage. Well, as many people know from the Greek legend, this also, this led to him being punished. And before he was taken to be chained up, Prometheus gave his brother a warning, never accept a gift from Zeus. Well, Zeus, being Zeus, he decided that uh, he was going to punish Epimetheus a little bit too so the gods created Pandora and offered this woman as to Epimetheus as his wife well of course uh, Epimetheus didn't listen to his brother's words of warning so he took Pandora to be his wife and then of course we all know what happens with Pandora how she had the box with all the evils in the world and she ended up opening it now, it's said that Epimetheus wanders back and forth between the plains, causing the occasional disaster due to his tendency to think before he acts. Or, I'm sorry, rather, his tendency to act before he thinks. And it's said the Gnomish gods sympathize with him because, well, his actions are very similar to that of Gnomes. Now, when Epimetheus does go to Shirok, Fortunately, there is a deity there that can help keep him in line, and he's powerful enough to contain any disasters he might cause, and that is the Finnish god, Uko. It's said that he's a thunder and storm god, in some ways very similar to Thor. Both were said to have had a hammer or an axe as a weapon. Both of them also have a connection to an Earth goddess. Uko has a wife named Aka, and it was thought that thunderstorms were the result of them making love. And here, you probably thought thunderstorms were the result of God and the angels bowling, right? <laughs> I know that's what my uh, parents used to tell me when I was a kid. And well, of course, and I believe in Scandinavian uh, folklore, thunderstorms were believed to be Thor fighting against the giants. Now, another parallel we see between the two is that, again, they've got this connection with uh, an Earth-based goddess. And in Scandinavian belief, Scandinavian folklore, it was believed that a thunderstorm was necessary at the start of the growing season in order to ensure a bountiful harvest as Thor was married to the goddess Sif, who was associated with uh, grain and, and wheat. It's also believed that Uko may have been associated with snakes due to how that animal is fast and it does resemble a lightning bolt in some ways. He also has a connection with alcohol. It's believed that people would leave barley or other grain on their rooftops with hopes that Uko would moisten them with rainwater. And then they would use these grains to brew a sacred ale that would be drunk at a festival in honor of Ukko called Ukan Vakat. He's also associated with hunting. And there's a prayer I found that was written to him. Uko, golden king, old man in the sky, take your golden club and hammer of copper, strike in the wilderness, hit your hammer in the woods. And it was believed that by reciting this prayer to him before you go hunting, uh Uko would scare the you know the deer or whatever animals you wanted to hunt out of hiding so you could hunt them down. There's also a land formation in Finland called Ukon Kivi. I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but it's a translates to Uko's Rock, and this is a site that was believed to be sacred to him. It is a Uh, like a small island in the middle of a lake. And there is evidence that uh, there may have been uh, some sort of sacrifices there as they did find remains of silver amulets on that island. Now, if we can go back to the episode I did on Pandemonium, uh, it was said that when the hero Lyman Kynan had died and was sent into the underworld in order for him to be healed. His mother had a bee fetch a drop of honey from uh, Uko, and this helped bring Lyman Kynan back to life. You know, that reminds me of uh, one of my favorite shows, Mystery Science Theater 3000. One of my favorite episodes of that program is when they reviewed... A movie, well, not really reviewed, but they watched a movie, "The Day the Earth Froze," which is a, a Russian-Finnish film based on the uh, Finnish national epic of the Kalevala, which is based on the legend of, you know, the Sampo. Where I believe that's actually just one part of the legend, but uh, there's a scene where Lyman Kynan jump, jumps into the ocean because he's going to try to. Uh, you know, swim back to Pocoglia to recover the sample. I'm pretty sure this is the part of the movie where it was at, but they're like, try the power of Lyman in your wash cycle, and one of the reasons I like that episode so much is there's a couple jokes in there that are, you know, kind of specific to my region of the U.S. Uh, in the beginning of the movie, they're showing this beautiful landscape of a pine forest, and, you know, with rivers flowing through it, and You know, as the narrator's doing his thing, uh, Joel's like, escape to Wisconsin. And also while they're showing all these beautiful footages, they start, you know, they start doing a beat and they're like, from the land of sky, blue waters, waters. Which of course is in reference to uh, Ham's uh, beer, which was, uh, I don't think they, it's made anymore um, or if it is it's only made in like small batches because uh, I believe Ham's Brewing Company was uh, bought out by Miller Brewing Company but uh, for a, a while like during the 60s, 70s and I think even into the 80s uh, Ham's Beer they had this mascot uh, Sasha the Bear and they were fam- they were known for the decorations that they would make for, you know, various bars and taverns, and a lot of times they would have, you know, the Ham's Beer logo, and then there would be a picture of, like, a beautiful Northwood scene, and it would say, From the Land of Sky Blue Waters, and look them up on eBay, there, or you can find them on YouTube as well. If you want to buy one, though, uh, you got to be prepared to shell out big bucks for them. They, you know, they go for no small amount of money. And uh, my friend Steve, who used to co-host the show with me, I remember when I was a kid, his dad had the Cenorama sign, where it started out with uh, the a picture of a campsite, and then it scrolls over to a waterfall, and then through a forest, and then a river, and then back to the you know, this campsite and, you know, it had this little ripple effect in the background and we always used to like hanging out in the basement and watching it. So go to YouTube. You can find the occasional video of people who just tape it and put it up there. Uh, And again, it's called Ham's Beer Scenorama. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of their advertising stuff became more well known than the beer. Uh, I've never had Ham's, but from what I understand, it's not the greatest beer in the world. It's an acquired taste, but I don't know, maybe one of these days if they still make it all. I have to see if I can pick up some. And as you, my audience, have probably picked up on, I'm just pretty much padding out the episode uh, right now. But yeah, definitely go. And if you ever have a chance to see the MST3K uh, episode on Day the Earth Froze, watch it. It's funny. It's hilarious. I really enjoyed it. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Speaking of enjoying things, and even though it's again, like I said, I apologize. I tried to pad out the episode as long as I could. It's just that, in a way, it's kind of like Arcadia and Acheron and some of the, a couple of the other planes in the book. You know, they really didn't give you that much to work with. And since it's not based on a mythological or literary counterpart, didn't really have much to go on there. But anyways, so we've taken a look now at all of the planes as presented in the Manual of the Planes 1st Edition D&D. Well, at least the Outer Planes. There's still the Elemental Planes and the Astral Plane and the uh, Ethereal Plane. And I just gave myself idea for future show topics. So stay tuned. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something on the Astral Plane, Ethereal Plane, or the Elemental Planes sometime in the future. Who knows? But with that said, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in and have a good evening or morning, or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at POIGamestudio. Do you do a podcast about Dungeons & Dragons, role-playing games, video games, or other topics of geek interest? Would you like to cross-promote your podcast on geekery in general? Then drop us a line on our Facebook page at POI Game Studio or POI Network, or contact us through our website at POIGamestudio.com. And we'll set something up.